Nebuchadnezzar's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are all well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Uh, train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and, and they were trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Misael and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. And so, Father, this evening as we approach this magnificent book, Lord, I ask that you would help us to focus upon you. It's truly a privilege to be able to come before you and know beyond a, a shadow of a doubt that not only were you there during the time of Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael, but also in our time as well. You were there for Ezekiel. You were there for Jeremiah. You were there for Isaiah. You were there for all the other prophets. Lord, you're there for us today as well. Lord, whatever position you've put us in, whatever place you have put us in, help us to realize that you were the one that put us there. Whatever things we may be going through right now, you're allowing to happen. You've put us there for a reason. And just like Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Misael, they, they were taken captive. And they could have complained the whole time. They could, they could have grumbled. They, they could have turned to the other side. They could have given up. But yet they stood strong for you. And in our own situations, our own lives, Lord, help us to do the same. Help us to get a glimpse into the lives of these men that are um, godly, that desire nothing more than to give you praise in whatever position that you've put them in. And so, Lord, help us to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. There's plastic paper being, you know, crumpled, right? So if you did not get one of these, I'm going to read a verse in just a little. If you have not gotten a, a notebook yet, raise your hand, please, okay? Uh, the guys are going to come up and they're going to give you one, okay? And so make sure you guys get, get them a, a notebook up here. Uh, there's three different kinds. And, we, and the reason why, and, and if you were here last week, you know why we're doing this. But in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 it says, earlier during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions. He, as he lay on his bed, he wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. Every time I go through the book of Daniel, uh, I did this with the man on Wednesday morning, and, and then also the, uh, for you guys as well. I, I want to make sure that you have a notebook. Because there's a practice to this, okay? There, there's a reason why. And again, I can only afford to give each of you one, okay? So if you come back next week and forget it, I can't give you another one, okay? Make sure you bring it, okay? That's the whole point. Uh, but it's just something for you to write in, okay? It's something for you to be able uh, to write in. And not only just like Daniel, and we're going to see this throughout the book of Daniel, uh, but that you would uh, also write down what the Lord is telling you. Maybe your uh, prayer request, maybe your answers to prayer, as we're going to see uh, with Daniel, okay? There's a couple of people up here that haven't gotten one yet, okay? Uh, and so thank you for being here. I want to make sure that you guys have a, uh, a notebook. Uh, I know there's, there's a whole bunch back there for you guys. Uh, the guys will make sure that you guys get some up here, okay? Any others that didn't get one yet? One, two, three. Three more up here, okay? Thank you, guys. Uh, 
<clears throat> no problem. It's difficult starting a new book, especially after we've only been through three books of the Bible in the last year and a half. We've been going through these massive books that, that take up, you know, 48 chapters or 66 chapters or 52 chapters, all these massive books. And now we're going to be hitting a new section of the Bible. They're going to be a lot quicker, a lot smaller books in uh, the Bible. This, chap this book here only has 12 chapters. Hosea, the next book, is only going to have 14 uh, chapters. Uh, Jonah's only going to have four uh, chapters. Nahum is only going to have uh, three chapters. Habakkuk is only going to have three chapters. Obadiah is only going to have one chapter. And so we're going to be hitting books a lot quicker uh, now. So I, I don't know how you feel about different styles of Bible studies, but the way that we're going to be going through the next several, you know, uh, next 13 books of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament, it's going to be a lot quicker. You can't just, you know, skip a couple of weeks and expect to pick it up again. Because we're going to be going through several different books very, very uh, quickly. You blink and you're going to go through them. And, and that's the amazing thing about the Bible. There's certain books where you park in and, and you spend lots and lots and lots of time. These ministries that lasted for literally 50, 60, 70, and even in the case of Daniel, 80 or 90 years. And then there's going to be books where it lasts just a couple of months, and it's going to go by so quick. The very short books of the Bible. Daniel is the first of these small books. Even though he's considered a major prophet, a part of the four sections, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel are part of this major prophet, a big chunk of the Bible. It's the beginning of these smaller books. And so as we approach this section, we get to see the narrative of uh, Daniel. And many of you that have been in church for, you know, decades or even when you were younger, you probably heard a lot of these stories already. You've heard of Daniel in the... You've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three men and the four men that are in the fiery furnace, right? You, you've heard of all these various stories of Daniel interpreting the dreams of not just Nebuchadnezzar, but also two and then three different kings after him. The, the privilege of being able to minister to a group of people that had no idea who Yahweh was. And Daniel is perfectly placed in this position to minister to not just one king, not just two kings, but three different kings from two different major world powers. This is the ministry of Daniel. And then, of course, his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael. Verse 1, we read the little kind of a synopsis of what we've been reading for the last year and a half. And because this verse sums up exactly what we learned in Jeremiah. This verse sums up what we learned in Ezekiel. This verse sums up what we learned in the book of Isaiah, the very end of Isaiah. What happened to put Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael in the position where they're at right now? It's because of the disobedience of Israel. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2. Who's the one that gave victory to this foreign king? It says it right there. We saw it multiple times in the book of Ezekiel, multiple times in the book of Jeremiah. Who is the one that gives victory to King Nebuchadnezzar? It's God. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. And you guys remember exactly how this happened. Remember Jehoiakim 
uh, is in prison at this time. Remember, he's blind. Remember, his eyes were literally torn out of his sockets. And what was the last thing he saw? His sons killed right before his eyes. The last two heirs of the line of Judah that were supposed to be the next kings of Israel are killed before the last king of Israel, King Jehoiakim. And then his eyes are put out. And then he is now in prison in Babylon while Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael are going through the college that they're going to be going through. Can you imagine this? Where, where you're a, a young man that has been taken from your homeland, again, traveling 900 miles, put into a school, a college, for three full years. And the consequences of not graduating from that college are, are dire. Because if you don't graduate, you die. In fact, there is a high standard to this uh, college. But more than that, not only have you been taken to another country, but also the things that you reverence, the, the things that are sacred to your religion are also taken as well. In fact, in verse 2, what are some of the things that are taken there? These sacred objects. These were the goblets. These were the, the silver and gold goblets. These were the menorah. This was the table of showbread. This was the various things that were used in the temple worship that are also taken as well. In fact, we'll see them later on in the book being used for horrific things. But who's the one that permitted this to happen? It says it there. It was God. God not only is protecting Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, putting them in perfect position, but also as well the sacred objects too. These objects from the temple that would have been left destitute back in the homeland are taken to uh, Babylon. Where does Nebuchadnezzar put these things? So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his uh, God, we'll see a little bit more of this later on. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and noble families who had been brought to Babylon as uh, captive. This guy by the name of Ashpenaz, and, and it depends upon what translation you use. If you use the New King James Version, it describes him as the chief of the eunuchs. Uh, but in this case, it's actually better translated here in the NLT, the chief of the staff or chief of the officials. This is a general term that is used for people that are in an official capacity. In fact, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, a guy by the name of Potiphar, who was married, by the way, the guy that bought Joseph when he was a slave, he was called a, an official, this exact same Hebrew word that is used here for staff or officials, the ones that are in charge of royal functions, okay? It is a general term. Now, sometimes they were eunuchs, but not all royal officials were eunuchs. Not all eunuchs were royal officials. In this case, it is a very general uh, term. It describes it like this. They were to bring them to the palace, young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families. These are royal descendants. And they're all from the tribe of Judah. These are all related back to David somehow. These are all royal descendants. These are all people that are part of the upper echelon of Israelite society. And they're being handpicked to be integrated into the Babylonian society. In fact, this is what the Babylonians would do. 
They, they were different from the Assyrians. Remember the Assyrians came in in 722 BC and they took the northern kingdom of Israel and they scattered them. That's what the Assyrians would do. They would, they would scatter a nation. They would make sure that that nation no longer had an identity. They would scatter them and make sure that they were interspersed throughout other nations that they had conquered. And so they would become uh, mongrels or interracial. These were the people that came back to Israel as Samaritans. These were the ones that came back as half-breeds. These were the ones that came back to the northern section of Israel with other forms of nationality in their blood. But the Babylonians were different. The Babylonians, they, they still kept these people as their identity, but they did it in such a way where they indoctrinated them. They made sure that when they would come to this royal function, the chief of the staff, that they were people that had a high pedigree. Look at how they're described there in verse 4. Select only strong how does, what is Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael? What do they look like? They are strong. What else are they? Healthy. That means they don't have any defects in them. Okay? That means that when you, you know, they took their, you know, vitals or whatever it was, they, they didn't have any, you know, lameness in them. They didn't have any sort of, of you know, uh, genetic malformation in them. They, they were healthy in their very being. These were strong. These were healthy men, okay? And what else were they? It says in the last one there. Good looking, yeah. These were, these were guys, these, at least four of these men, and there's probably more as well. We'll see that later on. But also, these men were strong, healthy, and good-looking. Th these were the ones that were hand-picked by the Babylonian officials to be put into this three-year program where they would learn the culture, the language, the literature, all the best that Babylon had to offer them. And then they would be put into hand-picked official capacities throughout the Babylonian Empire. You see, the Babylonians would do this on purpose. Not only to the Israelites, but the other nations that they would conquer. They made sure not to destroy them all. They used those cultures to their own benefit. They would take people that were smart and wise, and good-looking, and, and, and cultured, and, and all these other characteristics that we're going to see here, and they integrated them into their culture in order to make their own culture better, their old, own culture stronger. Look how it describes it there in the rest of the phrase. He said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. So not only were they strong, healthy, and good-looking, they weren't just on the outside, a facade, but they also had to be what? Smart. This is a three-year hard program, a college courses, the best of the best, and they had to complete it within a certain amount of time. In fact, this was their life for three years. This is who they were for three years. They were part of this uh, college. Look at what they had to do. Every branch of learning are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. These men are put through the paces of having to learn another language and not only having to learn another language in three years, but also having to learn the literature of that language within three years and the culture, and the history, and all the other forms of learning within that culture. Can you imagine that? How many of us would pass it, you know? Yeah, this is very difficult, right? This is a very difficult course that they're going through. In fact, it says there at the end of verse 4, train these young men in the language, in literature, Babylon. 
Not only were these men taken from their homeland, taken from their own culture, put into this college of a different culture. They had to learn everything about this culture in order to be used in the official capacities that they're going to be going through. You see, Babylon did this on purpose. They would take a people group from one area, they would put them into these colleges, these learning centers, these, these people that were uh, able to be able to learn these things. They would make sure that they would go through these three-year courses. But that's not it. Living here, what else did they have to do? Verse 5, it tells us. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. What kind of food do you get to eat at this college? Wow. Whose kitchen is this food from? Wow. Is that pretty good food, huh? Oh, yeah. This is good stuff, right? You know, and when you, you already read the book of Daniel, or you know what's going to happen, right? I know all of you guys are all smirking and everything. But can you imagine being put into this situation? You've been taken from your homeland. You're not like Ezekiel where you're by the river Kibar. You know, you're one of the rejects if you're Ezekiel. Or, or Jeremiah, God forbid. You're left back in the homeland with all the riffraff. And, and that means all the ugly people, all the dumb people, all the not so strong people, right? The people that couldn't learn anything. They're left back in Israel, in Jerusalem, right? You're taken as one of the cream of the crop. You're put into this school. You're given all this amazing food from the king's kitchen. Put yourself in this situation. And you're a young man. You're not old like you guys, okay? I, I know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, a, you're a young, handsome, strong man in your prime What is it like? The temptations come, right? You know that. You don't have your parents there. Your priests aren't there. The the you know the the you know the fence that you had in your homeland or or the 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 rules, the laws that you had in your homeland, you don't have to do those things anymore. You're a part of a different culture now. And you're given the best from the king's kitchen. They were trained for three years. And then they would enter the royal uh, service. Daniel, Ananiah, Misael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. These are royalty. These are men with Jewish names. So not only are they taken from their homeland, not only are they put into this college where they are indoctrinated with uh, the rules and laws and literature and all the, the amazing things of being in a highly cultured society, literally the world power at this time. You get to go to a college for three years. You are given the best food in the land directly from the king's table himself but something else happens as well your identity is stripped from you you see this is the only time that we're going to see Hananiah, Misael and Azariah's name being given here only in chapter 1 are their names going to be in the Jewish or the Hebrew you see all four of these men are going to be given different names as well says there in verse 7, the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Not only are you taken to a different culture, indoctrinated in that culture, not only are you given the food of that culture, but you're given a new name with a new meaning. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Now, Daniel's, we're going to see his name uh, consistently throughout the rest of the book. Daniel's name is going to be kept because he's the author of the book, okay? 
We'll very seldom see his name described as Belshazzar, okay? But we, we will see it several times throughout the rest of the book of Daniel, specifically when he's uh, addressed by a Babylonian, okay? A Babylonian official will call him by his Babylonian name. But when he's addressing himself, he's going to continue to keep his Hebrew identity as Daniel, okay? Daniel means God is my judge, or Yahweh is my judge, or Elohim is my judge. His new name, Belshazzar, means protect the king. You see, his name is now changed to one where he is going to be in service to a king of a foreign uh, dignitary, a different nation. He's going to have to learn the literature, the history, the language, the culture of a different nation. He's going to have to eat the food of a different nation. And he is being given a name that will literally identify him in his position to a foreign king. Protect the king. This was his life going to be. And by the way, he's going to do this in multiple ways, not according to what the, you know, the official of the staff is going to think, but literally in the terms of God protecting a foreign king through Daniel. Daniel's name, God is my judge, is translated to a, a different name in a different culture, protect the king Hananiah was called, and you probably know these names, you know, especially in, in you know, Sunday school, right? We, we know them better as these other three names, the next three guys. Hananiah, Azariah, Misael, very seldom do we remember them as, the, you know, the original three there. Uh, we know them more popularly as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Yeah. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. It's the Hebrew name for the word John. Or Johanna in the feminine. The, the Lord is gracious. Or Yahweh is gracious. Or Jehovah is gracious. His name is turned into Shadrach, which means I am fearful of Another God, or Nebo, as we're going to find out later on. I am fearful of a God. His name is changed from one where God is giving him grace to one where he's literally fearful of another God. Now, of course, your name can be changed by another nation but is it who you are? We're going to see that Shadrach, by the way, later on, is not going to be fearful of another god. In fact, he's going to stand boldly in the face of death. We'll talk about that more when we get to uh, chapter 4. Misael, his name means who is what God is. His very being it determines who God is. His very life who God is, is in my life. Very similar to the name Micah, one of the minor prophets. Misael's name is changed to Meshach, or I am despised or contemptible before my God. Not only is he renamed, but the very definition of his name is meant to bring him down. I, I am fearful, or I am despised. A, a name that, you know, is meant to bring you down in terms of who your identity is. Of course, their Hebrew names lifted them up, made, made sure that they were part of who God is. They represented God. But now their Babylonian names are, have this connotation of despicableness. By the way, this is what happens when you worship another god. The god of the Babylonians, as we find out in the third name, is a god by the name of Nebo. This was one of the major deities, not the only one, but one of the major deities in uh, Babylon. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar's name is named after Nebo. 
the king of Babylon, has Nebo in his name, Nebuchadnezzar. Azariah, the last of these four men, means Yahweh has helped. His Babylonian name, Abednego, means servant of Nebo. From being the one that is helped by God to now being named a servant of Nebo. And again, your name can be changed. You may have a, a nickname that you can't get rid of. But can God use your identity for his glory? And by the way, these four men are going to stand up in the midst of a horrendous, very, very high pressure situation. And they're going to come out shining on the other side. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael, these, these Hebrew names, these men who were strong and healthy and wise and smart and good-looking, had the ability to learn, are going to go above and beyond the society that they're in, so much so that they're going to transform whatever position that they're put into. Used for the glory of God, handpicked by God to be put into specific situations where they have the influence over all the other wise men. And God's going to use them in miraculous ways. The first six chapters of this book are all narrative. You've probably heard a lot of these stories. You probably know a lot of these stories. You've probably even taught a lot of these stories here. In the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. But there's the other half of Daniel. And it really changes very, very quickly. Once we get to chapter 7. It becomes very, very prophetic. Or very, very spiritual. And so again, those notebooks that you guys have. The reason why you have them. As we're going to find out as we go through the book of Daniel. Is so that you can write down the prayers. I don't know what situation you are in right now. I don't know where God has put you, but can you use your position right now for his glory? Just like Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael. In fact, the very beginning, the very first month, the very first two weeks of their captivity in this college, the pressure hits right away. Because not only are they taken from their homeland, not only are they renamed, not only are they given this food from a, the king's table, but they have to make a choice from the very beginning. They have to determine in their own heart what they're going to do. They can't just, you know, off the cuff make decisions. In fact, in verse 8, this is what Daniel and in, you know, including Hananiah, Azariah, Misael. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. There's no parents. There's no laws or rules from your previous society where you have to live by. You are now a young man in college. And you're given all this amazing food. No consequences. In fact, as we'll see later on, a lot of these other young men that are part of this college don't pass the test. But how did Daniel come to this decision? He determined in his heart. He decided before he was tempted. He, he decided before the choice came. He, he, he determined in his heart already what he would do. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to be... According to what God tells me to do. Not what this person is telling me to do. The chief of the staff or a king or some other person. 
I'm going to be judged by God, the very definition of his name. I'm going to allow God to determine what I do. This is what he says. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. This is the beginning of, the, of Daniel. This is the beginning of the wisdom of Daniel. You see, Daniel just didn't blatantly rebel. He used wisdom in how he did this, right? He didn't say, oh, I'm a Jew. I can't eat that food. There's no way you're going to make me do it. Right? No, what does he do? He, he goes to the chief of the staff in a wise, determined way. Let's put this to the test and see if it works. Just give us 10 days. That's it. 10 days. You know why he did that? Because of the chief of the staff was also responsible too. Look what it says there in verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Uh, but he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Oh, wow. Not, not only is there, you know, this, this looming death penalty, if you as the administrator of all these uh, youths from different cultures don't pass the test. But what happens? Even if they start to look pale, even if they start to look malnourished, who is responsible for these young men? Yeah, Ashpenaz, the chief of staff. And so having this, you know, uh, looming, you know, chopping of his head off, it's his life on the line if they do not, you know, pass this test. And so, of course, you know, being in a society where not only food and wine, and you can say, oh, well, you know, just food and wine, you know, it's from the king's table. But Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael knew differently because this food would have been offered to idols. It would have been offered to other gods. This food would have probably been, you know, animals that were considered unclean by Jewish standards. This wine would have been something that wasn't just, you know, fermented grapes. It would have been a, of a higher alcohol content, a, a you know, if you will, a, a strong drink. And so being young men, the temptations that were there, and if you've ever been away from your parents or maybe for the first time going to college or going to another city, what are the temptations that come with that? Oh yeah, easily. I don't have anyone to be accountable to, right? I can do whatever I want. But what did Daniel do in his heart beforehand? He determined in his heart beforehand to obey God. This is an amazing application, especially as, you know, and again, many of you being in this room, young people, okay? I know I called you guys older before, but even you as young people can make those decisions before. No matter what age you are, it doesn't matter your age. Do we all face different forms of temptation? And do we have to determine beforehand? You know where you're going this Christmas season. You know where you're going for New Year's. You know where you're going to the various places. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends. And you know what's going to happen. Don't wait for the party. Don't wait for having to make that decision. Determine beforehand. Make that choice in your heart now. Write it down now. I'm going to make this choice. I won't fall for those temptations. So Daniel, in his wisdom, he goes to the chief of the staff. He presents this request. He doesn't rebel in any sort of way. He makes this request. Just give us 10 days. Verse 11. 
Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff who took after, or who looked after Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Things that were considered kosher, okay? This would have been not only fruits, not only vegetables, but also grains as well. All of these were considered clean things. And then, of course, water as well. Uh, something that wasn't fermented or something of uh, a fermented uh, nature. Please test this for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. You've probably seen books about this. You've probably seen people on the TV talk about this, right? We probably all have, you know, it's, you know, the Daniel diet, right? You know, all you have to do is, is fast for 10 days on, you know, and God's going to give you whatever you want, right? Or, or he's going to give you the request of your heart. And, and, you know, yes, there's, you know, a, a little bit of truth to that. But you understand what's happening here. This isn't about Daniel getting what he wants. It's about Daniel standing up for what's right. It's about a, a young man standing up for the truth of God's word. Not just in his diet, but in everything that comes out of that decision as well. Because he's going to have to go through the literature of Babylon. He's going to have to go through the culture of Babylon. And every single choice that he's going to have to make is do I follow what I have been taught through the word of God what I know to be true for my relationship with the God of the universe or am I going to fall for what I hear about in another culture and it's so easy to do and you see it all the time when people go off to college you see it all the time when people go off into certain other environments Rather than being uh, grounded and taking what they know, they give in to the pressures of the society that they are put in. And of course, not just college, it's any new society or any new culture that you go to. It doesn't matter. The temptations are all around us. Are you determined to do it? The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion, tested him for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends. And by the way, this is amazing. Your mom was right, by the way. Eat your vegetables, right? What, what happened to these young men? I, I'm sure you all had, a, you know, someone in your life that told you to eat your vegetables, right? What, 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 what did it look? What did it, <laughs> or, or even a spouse. Yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> do, do you understand what, what, what is happening here? Who's the one that's protecting Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael? Who's the one that's protecting them? God. This, you know, young men that are now choosing to eat these vegetables, choosing to follow God. God made them look healthier and better than all the other use. All the ones from all the other cultures. All the ones that ate from the king's table. All the ones that would get drunk. All the ones that made the other choices. God protected them. They were better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. And so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Did God come through? Does God still come through, by the way? You know, many of these stories here, God's going to come through multiple times in not only Daniel's life, but also his friends' lives as well. The other three men. And by the way, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael, they're never separated. Ever. You will never see Hananiah by himself. You will never see Azariah by himself. You will never see, uh, you know, uh, Azariah and Misael, Misael by himself. You will never see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by themselves. These are the only three names in the whole Bible that are always together every single time you see them mentioned. 
every single time. They will always be mentioned together, okay? Whether it's with Daniel or without Daniel, they will always be mentioned together. These are three friends that serve together that make sure that their commitment to the Lord is firm. It's good to have friends that are godly, by the way. It's one of the ways that we stand firm in the truth. If someone falters, can someone else come along and help us? That's why fellowship is so important. That's why uh, church is so important. That's why, you know, coming to whether it's, you know, Sundays or, or Monday nights or Wednesday nights or Wednesday mornings or Friday nights, whenever it is, or multiple times throughout the week, or do we need accountability? We'll see if this more later on when we get to the fiery furnace. But look at how it describes them. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends, they're always mentioned together, looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided by the others. God is the one that protects these young men Three years in the service of this college. By the way, how long does it normally take to get a bachelor's degree in American society? Yeah. I, I, I went to college. I, I went to the other Cal Poly, Cal Poly Pomona. It was down south there at the 10 and the, the 57 freeway. I was there during the, the early 90s. And I remember I, I was, you know, electrical engineering and everybody said, you know, it's going to take you five years. It's going to take you five years because it's, you know, 202 units or whatever it was. It was a lot of, you know, not only general ed, but also the, I, I completed in four years. You know why? No, that's not the reason why. No, I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I had determined beforehand that I would complete it in four years. So I took two summer classes, made sure I did two full summer you know, complete summer courses that had 16 units each, by the way, to make sure that I would graduate in four years. And so there was times where I was, you know, you're ending a class and then you get maybe a week or two off and then you start another group of classes. It's the determination of doing this. And this is exactly what they're taking a full course, a college course, not just five years or six years, not four years, but how many years? Three years. Three years they complete all these courses. Not only that, but they're doing it in a foreign language. Wow. They're doing it in a language that they didn't naturally speak. They're doing it in a language where they themselves didn't grow up speaking. They had to actually learn the language and then learn all the literature and culture and all the other things that they had to do. Wow! This is amazing. And who helps them through it all? God does. Not only do the, they do the academics and you know, it's one thing to, you know, just learn the knowledge, but also they have the wisdom as well. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. See, there's a difference between just learning another language and learning all the, the book knowledge that's, you know, academic. All of you guys that, that know, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, cooking or whether it's automotive or, or whether it's some sort of, you know, uh, work that you do. There's a difference between someone that knows the stuff from a book and someone that actually can apply it, right? W would you want a doctor who has just learned the books? It never operated on a single person, right? Or, or, or a, a mechanic who knows the books. He knows all about it, but has never worked on a car before. They, they, they have the head knowledge, but they don't know how to do it. 
And we run into people like that all the time, unfortunately, right? They have all that head knowledge, but they've never done it themselves. They, they can, you know, tell you how to do it, but they, they themselves have never done it, right? God gives them wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the application of something that you know, actually putting it into practice. You're going to have one bit of knowledge, something that, that is very, very specific. And if you don't apply it, it means nothing. Just something in your head. Fortunately, the world is full of that. And social media is full of that. People proclaiming that they know a lot of things, but they are very, very unwise, right? Not only that, but also it says there at the end of verse 17, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the means of visions and dreams. We'll see this multiple times throughout the life of Daniel. He's not only going to interpret it for Nebuchadnezzar, but he's also going to interpret it for Darius, who's the next king after two kings in another culture, in, an, in another national empire that comes into and takes over the Babylonian empire. Daniel's going to multiple, multiple times interpret dreams. In fact, in the very next chapter, he's going to interpret a dream and also tell the dream without even knowing the dream. Wow. Is this just knowledge? Is this just, you know, some sort of superficial wisdom? No, it's something that God has given to him. The gift, verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to Nebuchadnezzar, all these people that had been handpicked from various cultures, all these young men who were good-looking and smart and, and, and knowledgeable and had learned the Babylonian language of all these men from various cultures who were the top of the class. The valedictorians. Who, who, who were the ones that were the best of the best? The ones that had determined in their heart from the very beginning what to do. They, they had a course in their mind. They, they had a set course of obeying the Lord. And by the way, this is an interview to the king. Okay? This is the standard by which you're going to be Passing the classes or not passing the classes. Okay? This is an interview with King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the world at this time, the emperor of the world at this time, the one who was in charge of the biggest empire at this time. And you're having to go before him after three years in his college and be quizzed by him. Asked questions by him. The king talked with them. He's interviewing each and every single one of these young men that have gone through this three-year course. Can you imagine the shaking of knees? Can, can you imagine the, you know, even the stuttering? Can, can you imagine being before the most powerful person on the planet? And being interviewed by them. The king talked with each one of them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Ananiah, Misael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any manner requiring wisdom and balanced judgment. And by the way, that's unique to the NLT. This word balanced uh, judgment means fairness, being able to be equitable, uh, not, not having to be influenced by the Babylonians or, or by the king. This was making sure that you had a fair judgment. He found them ten times more capable. Wow. Wow. Than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Wow. What does it mean to determine in your own heart? Who's the one that gives the blessing? 
God. These young men had determined in their own hearts. I, I, I love testimonies. And it's always the, the most dramatic testimonies are always seems to be the one, you know, this person has been to jail, you know, they killed someone, God somehow saved them, you know, transformed their life. They were a drunk or a drug guy and God transformed their life. And thank God for those type of testimonies. Thank God. Those are the dramatic testimonies. They, they, they draw the crowds, right? But you know what are some of the most powerful testimonies? The person that never gave in in the first place. And God was faithful in every single decision. The ones that don't have to go through the hard problems. Because God saved them from the beginning. Because they determined, this is the next generation. You don't want your next generation to go through the hard things that we've gone through, right? Thank God. Or your children or your grandchildren. What do you want for them? You want them to have a better life. And where it starts is when they're young. Before they go through the problems. Before they make those decisions. They determine beforehand. And this is what God does with Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael. What does it say there in verse 21? The end of this verse. Or end of this chapter. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Not only does he serve Nebuchadnezzar, not only does he serve Belshazzar, not Belshazzar, that's his name, Belshazzar, but he also serves Darius and then later on Cyrus uh, from a different world power that comes in, by the way. So Daniel's going to serve not only this king, but the grandson of this king and then also the kings that come in and eliminate the Babylonian empire and Daniel will still be there 70 80 90 years Daniel's going to serve as an old man it's not going to be as a young man when he's in the the Dan, in the lion's den it's going to be as an old man that he's in the lion's den it's going to be Daniel the old man who's there during the times when the Babylonian and then later on the Persian Empire is in turmoil. And where do they go to for wisdom and advice? Daniel. And God perfectly puts him in this position. By the way, God's done that for you too. I don't know what position you're in. You're going to have to make a decision. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe on Saturday, maybe at a Christmas party, maybe a New Year's Eve party. I don't know when it's going to be. But God's going to give you a decision. Are you going to determine beforehand to follow God? We get the privilege of going through the book of Daniel next week. We always do this every year. I, I do a, a different Christmas message. Last year I did presents, presents, presents. This year I'm going to be doing the, uh, uh, the long expected one. Okay. So come next week, we're going to be taking a, just a one-week break from uh, the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at uh, prophecy in terms of, of, of the life of Jesus Christ, specifically his birth, the long-expected one. Uh, the, the one for whom uh, the whole Old Testament points to, the long-expected uh, one. So please come uh, next week. And by the way, there's still extra notebooks in the back. Only get one. If you are, I'm uh, specifically addressing the people that are online. If you would like one, just please uh, ask me. Uh, and, and I would be glad to, to give you a, a, a notebook. Are you looking forward to studying the book of Daniel, by the way? Uh, so am I. Dear Father, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to worship you. And just like Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael, these, these men uh, that, that could have gone astray, that could have, without any consequences in their own lives even, just, they, they could have just um, become part of the crowd. They, they, they could have just um, uh, followed the rest of everybody else. But instead they determined in their heart. They were accountable to one another. They, they determined to follow you wholly. Even in the midst of a, a foreign society where the pressures were immense. And yet you remained faithful to them. And the tr same is true today for us. 
thank God that you remain faithful to us. So Lord, help us to determine beforehand. Help us to encourage and exhort and be there for those, our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, when, when they have to make decisions. Lord, please, as your word says, all we have to do is ask for wisdom and you'll give it to us. Freely give it to us at any time. So Lord, we ask for wisdom and, and whatever situation may come up, our decisions that may come up even within the next week or two, that you would help us to make the decision that glorifies you. That we would determine in our heart to put you first. So Lord, I thank you for these, my friends, my family, those that are here physically, those that are online, I ask you bless them. That you would use us for your glory, that you would help us to grow closer to you. We love you so much. The one that we long, that we look forward to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.